I'm going to ask you to stand with me uh, for the reading of the word of the Lord out of Acts chapter 6, verses uh, 1 through 7. You have been very blessed over these last few weeks. Um, uh, one, one week uh, we were out because of a family trip, and then the next week we were out uh, for my mom's uh, service. And both Sundays you've been blessed by men of God who brought the word of the Lord to you and shared it with passion and with conviction and under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. I'm very grateful for Brother Jay uh, Temple and uh, Brother Chris Chapel for uh, filling in while I was away. Reading from the, the word of the Lord in Acts chapter 6, starting at verse 1. Now at this time, the disciples were increasing in number. A complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. So the twelve summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, It is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. The statement found approval with the whole congregation, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenius, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. And these they brought before the apostles, and after praying, they laid their hands on them. Verse 7, the word of the Lord kept on spreading, and the number of the disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. Heavenly Father, once again, we come and we thank you, Lord, for your presence here this morning, and I thank you, Lord, for this beautiful group of people that is here, and I pray for each and every one of us that we would hear from you, Lord. God, we do not desire man's wisdom, but we desire your wisdom. And so we pray that you would move by the power of the Spirit, that what is preached this morning would be anointed by the Spirit and would touch and transform our hearts and help us to be faithful servants before you. So I thank you so much, Lord, for what you are doing. I thank you for your grace for each one of us. And we love you and we praise you. In the precious name of Jesus Christ, we ask these things. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. One other thing I'll share just before we jump into the message. I'm so grateful for those who helped to pull together um, the Trunk or Treat event on the back. I'm sorry we weren't able to be here, but there were so many of you who jumped in and, and, uh, and helped with that. And I just heard very positive things all the way around of uh, the ministry that took place. And one of the things that I noticed about um, our church, as people were talking to me about what was happening and uh, what went on, was that everyone that I spoke with talked about how the people who helped saw it as a ministry event. It was an opportunity to reach out in our neighborhood and to bless other people and to encourage people. And so I'm very grateful for that type of mindset uh, within this congregation. Here in Acts uh, chapter 6, uh, Brother Jay preached last week, and 
at the end of the text from uh, last week, we see that the uh, apostles, they were in this conflict uh, with the religious leaders. So you have this group of uh, religious leaders of the temple that are uh, trying to kind of squash this growing uh, church movement. And you have these apostles who are saying, you know, we know what we've seen, we know what we have experienced, and we can't stop talking about Jesus. We can't stop doing things in the name of Jesus. We've got to uh, continue this. And so, there is this external sort of persecution against uh, the church by these religious leaders and a group called the Sadducees. And the Sadducees were a group of priests and those who worked in the temple who did not believe in the resurrection. They did not believe that the body would eventually uh, be resurrected from the dead. And so there's this conflict because you can't believe in Jesus if you don't believe in the resurrection. You can't accept that Jesus was God if you don't believe in a bodily resurrection. And so the Sadducees, uh, they couldn't accept that Jesus was the Son of God. They couldn't accept that uh, he had risen from the dead because they didn't believe that anybody could have risen from the dead. And so there's this external sort of conflict uh, that was being a pressure on the church. And here at the beginning of chapter 6, what we're seeing is that uh, there is an internal conflict that is beginning to grow. And so in in Judaism, uh, what happened is that, you know, widows and others who couldn't really care for themselves, they weren't able to work, they weren't able to earn money, maybe they were infirmed of some way that those in the temple leadership, the religious leaders would begin to uh, help them, uh, help them with food, help them with their daily needs, and this process carried over into the church. But something else also carried over into the church, and that in Jerusalem, there was this sort of divide between those who were native to Jerusalem, the Jews who uh, were born in Jerusalem, who spoke Hebrew, and those who were still Jews, but they grew up outside of Jerusalem and maybe didn't really know Hebrew. They didn't, they didn't know how to speak Hebrew. They didn't really come with the customs, but they had come to Jerusalem for one reason or another. And so from these native Native Hebrews that lived in Jerusalem, grew up in Jerusalem, and the Jews that were from outside of Jerusalem that came to town, there began to be this sort of rub against them. There began to be conflict uh, between them. And so this uh, conflict, which was already in existence, was brought into the church. As these people came into the church, that conflict still existed. And so the issue was that in that distribution of food, the daily distribution of food that both the the people in the temple did, that kind of thing carried over into the church as well. So they wanted to care for the widows and those who couldn't help. And so the church starts uh, taking in resources and then giving it back out as food and other things that are needed to bless people who didn't have. But in blessing those who didn't have, they were favoring those who were born in Jerusalem versus those who were born outside of Jerusalem and now lived in Jerusalem. Now, this was the plight of some ladies of that day. Often, uh, a, a man who was religious, who may have lived outside of Jerusalem, he wanted to be buried in Jerusalem. 
He wanted his grave to be in Jerusalem, his final resting place, because that was the religious city. And so often what would happen is these men would bring their families as they would age, and they would come to Jerusalem, and they would die, and their wives would be left without any family or any other support network to care for them. And so the church would step in, or the temple would step in, and begin to help in some way. But because they were outside, we see now, even in the church, that there is this sort of, you know, we're going to help our people who are here in Jerusalem, who speak our language, who know our culture, we're going to help them first, and we're not really going to help those who are of the outside. Even though they're Jewish, we're still not going to help them very much. And so the apostles seek to deal with that. That's what's happening in this chapter. They're trying to deal with that particular issue. Very similar to today. Jews grow up in other parts of uh, the world, and many times we see them moving back uh, to Israel. When they move back to Israel, many of the Jews who grow up uh, here in the U.S. or in other places in Europe, they don't uh, speak the language or they don't know the customs of Israel. So it's very easy to identify them even though they are racially a Jew. They don't have the customs of the Jewish people. So again, this is what is going on. There's this rub between these two groups of people. The problems that existed in the religious uh, hierarchy before the day of Pentecost got carried over into the church. And I would say an application there is many times some of the things that you deal with before you come into relationship with Christ, if you don't lay them at the foot of the Lord, and we're going to talk more about that later, that they will continue to plague you in your relationship with Jesus. The things that you dealt with back then will be the things that you continue to deal with until you're willing to lay them at the foot of the Lord. The gospel speaks very clearly to the issue of how to treat others, how to treat your neighbor and yet this hadn't really taken hold in the church. There was still pridefulness. There was still desires for self. And the question became, how was this issue going to be addressed so that the church could continue to keep growing and spreading? And the issue needed to be addressed because conflict can hinder growth in God's church. Conflict can and will hinder God's growth, the growth of believers in the Lord's church. Conflict will hinder our growth. And so, as the apostles sought to deal with conflict... They exerted their apostolic authority. And that begs the question, why do apostles exist? What is the reason for an apostle? 
The apostles saw themselves as focusing their attention on prayer and the ministry of the Word. And their focus on prayer and the ministry of the Word was so important because they saw that as a necessity for the gospel to be able to go and fulfill the Great Commission, to get into Jerusalem, to get into Judea and Samaria, and to move forward into all of the known earth. The, the apostles saw themselves as a, a means as people who are called by God in order to preach and teach this gospel message. But now there's this conflict that has arisen that has to be dealt with. And the apostles have a choice to make. Do they take their eyes off the ball of their calling, which is prayer and which is study of the Word and the ministry of the Word? Do they take their eyes off of their calling and do they deal with something that has to be dealt with? And so what they choose to do is to raise up other leaders since their primary responsibility was not to settle disputes within the church. A novel idea, isn't it? If we're thinking about roles and calling within the church, what I want to uh, share from the outset is that the apostles have a different role than even that of a pastor. So you're not comparing apples with apples when you're looking at what the role of an apostle is compared to what the role of a pastor is. The apostolic calling has historically been seen as those who have seen Jesus in the flesh. This is Paul's understanding in 1 Corinthians 15 and 8 as he defends his apostleship. He says, I've seen Jesus in the flesh just like the other apostles. And it is those who are laying a foundation of the gospel in places where it has not previously been laid. So I think if in our day, if there are, if there do continue to be apostles in our day, I think we see them many times doing the work of a missionary, being those who are laying the foundation of the gospel in areas where it hasn't already been laid, preaching and teaching the message of the cross where people have yet to hear. But a pastor is one who leads a congregation also, just like the apostles did at this point, in the growth of God's Word. And while a pastoral calling does not carry apostolic authority, the role is similar in that a pastor must focus his attention on prayer and the study of God's Word. And that's the point I want to make to you first and foremost this morning, is that each and every one of us have a role to fulfill. And I remember the moment when I was probably 14 or 15 years old and God spoke to me through the Scriptures about what my call calling was to be. And my calling was to be that of a pastor. And a pastor's calling is to pray and to study the word of the Lord. What we find often in our day, I believe, are those who take their eyes off the ball. Those who have a pastoral calling and then desire to be involved in every single little event, every single issue, every single challenge that they can find within the church. And what happens is the attention gets off 
involve prayer and study and fasting and seeking God and seeking after His anointing and seeking after His power to dealing with issues in the church that aren't really in the pastor's purview. Because what a pastor must do is raise up others to fulfill their calling. Did you hear me say at the beginning of the message that Sister Autumn is the one who stepped up and began forming some home groups? I didn't do that. To my knowledge, I don't even recall meeting with home group leaders. I don't recall talking to them and laying down a foundation for them because that's not my role. What my role is, is to spend time every week praying, seeking God, wondering, Lord, what do you want to speak to us from your holy word? God, fill me with your anointing that I'm not just getting up here jabbering on about whatever is in my mind, but there is something that is spirit-empowered for your people. So we have to think, what is my role? My role is to pray. My role is to study. My role is to be there with you in the crisis moment. To minister to you in that crisis moment. And then get help when it's beyond what I'm able to do. Because there are people who are much more gifted at it than I am. What is your role? That's what you must ask yourself. Because you're here this morning because God has called you to be here. You're part of this local church along with those who were in the first service to do something in this community for God's glory. And the question is, how are we going to do it? Do you want someone where the pastor is leading everything, where the pastor is the one who has to initiate it, do it, and clean up afterwards? Or do you want to be at a place where everyone is fulfilling their God-given role, their God-given gift, that we can do more in this community than what one person could ever do? What is your calling? What is God speaking to you? I'm reminded of several weeks ago when we asked for those who felt as though God was speaking to them about some sort of vocational call to raise their hand. And hands went up around the sanctuary. And it was encouraging to me, but it's also been something that has been burned in my mind ever since. Because I asked the Lord time and time again, what do we do with this? God, if you've put these people here, God, what are you calling us to do? What are you speaking to us, Lord? You and I must fulfill our role. A pastoral focus on managing conflict will hinder growth. Thankfully, I've not had to manage conflict here yet. (laughs) I've not known of conflict here yet. But if it happened in the early church, it may happen here. And we're going to have to deal with it in a similar way that the early church dealt with it. But I can tell you, when a pastor is constantly managing conflict, their focus is on the conflict and not on the Word of God. Their mind is wrapped up in the conflict. Their mind is wrapped up in the issue and not in the Word of God. I'm a human just like you're a human. And when I come to the pulpit, I come to the pulpit with my emotions, with things that are going on in my mind. And what I have to trust in is that God's anointing for just a few moments helps me to put those things outside of my mind in order that I can bring the Word of God to you with authority and with power. 
But there are times when the conflict becomes so intense that a pastor can't focus his mind on other things. We will not be that type of church. I will not be in the middle of managing issues within the church. There are other people who are equipped for that role. But this also comes down to another level, not just the pastoral role, but it's also something that must be applied in your own family. Men, I want to speak to you that you have a responsibility if you are in the home, you have a responsibility to pick up the Word of God and do what it takes to spend time in God's Word, to seek God through the power of the Spirit so that you have a reserve that you can pour out to your wife and to your kids. You have a responsibility to step up to the plate and to engage God's Word. If you're here this morning, I ask this in first service. If you are here this morning and you're, say, age 10 and of and a single guy, I'd like you to stand. If you're age 10 or older and a single guy, I'd like you to stand. (laughs) Now, I want you to look around, those of you who are seated, and I want you to see the faces of these guys who are standing. Imagine if at their ages and abilities, they get a hold of the necessity of being in God's Word. If they say, no matter what, Lord, I am going to be a man of the Spirit. I'm going to be a man of your Word. I'm going to lead my family well when you entrust me with one. I'm going to be one who prays for the empowerment of the Spirit. If at this age they grab a hold of the necessity to walk in the Spirit of the Lord, imagine when God brings them a wife and they step in and they begin to see, yes, she beautiful, but the first thing we're going to do is we're going to sit around and we're going to talk about Jesus. When we're dating, I want to know, how do you love Jesus? Because I'm not going to be pulled away to the ways of the world. Because what we also know is that the world is after every single one of them. The world has its eyes set upon them that they would stumble, that they would fall, because if they can fall, their families will fall. So we have a responsibility to pray for those who are standing. So I pray that you get a face in your mind right now. Look at these young men who are standing. Let a face burn in your brain and think this week, I'm praying for this one. You don't have to pray for all of them. Pray for the one that God draws your attention to, that they would be faithful, that they would be men of the word, that they will be faithful in the Word, that they will be men of the Spirit, seek after God's Spirit, because the world is calling after them. Thank you, guys. You may be seated. Invest your time in the study of God's Word and the formation of your own character. We have to be a peculiar people a people who are different, a people who look different, act different, 
encounter conflict in different ways because of our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we begin to reach in and we begin to solve challenges within our families, within our church, we are then able to focus on the priorities that God has for us. The apostles solved the conflict by choosing people equipped to manage the problem. There were a group of people that had common characteristics. There were selected from the group that had the problem. They were men of good reputation, respected by others. They were full of the Spirit because reputation alone is not enough. There must be spiritual discernment. They had cultivated their character, and they were growing in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says that they were full of wisdom, Wisdom is a particular manifestation of the Holy Spirit in our life that is needed for the particular concern that you and I have before us. And it highlights the need for us that we must be a people who constantly rely on God's power and God's strength in every situation and circumstance in our life. The role of these seven men was no less important than those of the apostles. Whatever God's called you to do, it is no greater nor any less than the role of someone who stands behind the pulpit or sings or plays the piano or does anything else. God has called you specifically to that role, and that role is needed for the functional working of the church. You must operate in it. And the apostles knew that a lack of attention to their God-given role would have dire consequences for the church as a whole. Focusing on that conflict is the enemy's tactic to draw you away from the Lord. It's the exact thing that happened in the Garden of Eden. When Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden, what did the serpent come to them and say? Did God really say... God has told you. God has spoken it. God has given you. Adam and Eve did not have the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments had not been given to Adam and Eve. They didn't have any moral commandments to obey. There were no commandments for Adam and Eve to obey except for one. One command. I've given you all of the trees in this garden to eat. But don't eat of that one. Don't eat that one. It's like me saying, all these seats in the sanctuary are for you, but don't sit in that one. And what are the little kids going to (laughs) do? You know, you social distance, and it's like, don't sit in this chair and don't sit in that chair. Where do the kids go? It's the nature of us, right? That was what was happening with Adam and Eve. It started in the garden. Did God really say... Did God really mean this? And that's where the enemy wants to get you. He wants you to say, did God really mean his word to you? Did God really mean it when he says that he loves you? Does God really mean it when he says he has a plan for you? Does God really mean it when he says that all the things that you've done in your past, all the issues, all the challenges, all the difficulties that you have had in the past, they are all wiped away now by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you have a new life in him. You can walk faithfully in him. You are free from 
from the chains of the past? Did God really mean it? That's what the enemy wants to speak to you this morning. And the way that you combat that, the way you come against that, is you continually find yourself being informed and reformed by God's Word. If you turned on the news this morning and you began listening to all that trash that is going on about what's going on in our country and what is going on in our world, you will have anxiety that will not end. You'll think about it. You'll process it. You'll wonder about it. You'll wonder what's going to go on. When is this going to happen or that going to happen? But I can tell you this. If as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you will take time and read God's love letter to you, and you will find yourself invested in his word, and you will think about what he has said to you, and you will use your time in this book, it will transform how you think about yourself. It will transform how you think about your mission in life. And it will transform how you treat other people. See, some of the challenge when we deal with challenges and issues in our life is that we try to solve it in our own mind. We try to solve it with our own abilities. We try to work it out in our own, uh, our own earthly ways instead of turning to the Lord Jesus Christ. But when we focus on God's priorities, when we focus on God's word, we can create lasting change by the help of the Lord. Verse 7 says, the word of God kept on spreading. Why did it keep on spreading? It kept on spreading because there were people who were strong enough to say, God has called me to this and not to that. There were people, even though there was a pull over here, they said, no, that's for someone else. I'm going to deal with this. And I'm going to focus myself on what God has called me to do. So when we think about that, what I'd like to encourage you to do is the only way you're going to create lasting change in your life, the only way you move beyond the problems of today, the only way you move beyond all of the issues and all of the challenges that you are experiencing is by doing what the Word of the Lord commands us to do, finding your rest and your peace in Christ. So practically, what does that mean? Practically, how do you do that? Preachers are good at giving platitudes, but sometimes we're not quite as good at telling you where the rubber meets the road. One of the things that I appreciated when I sat in my mom's chair was that she had a list uh, of several cards that were next to where she sat in the, the stand next to her. And in that stand, it was several different cards that were labeled temptation, failure, fear, anxiety. And under the list of cards about this tall were scriptures one after 
the other. And I saw them tucked in books. I saw them where they were kind of crumpled a little bit, where I know she had been looking at them and reading over them. And this is exactly what you need to do in your life. But when you begin to do it, what the enemy is going to say to you is it's not enough. You need to do something else. Apostles, it's not enough for you to devote yourself to the reading and study of God's Word and to prayer. What you need to do is you need to be in the middle of this conflict to make sure that it's solved in the way in which it needs to be solved. Brother Chris Chapel, this conflict that you're going through, you need to address it in a different way rather than going to the word of the Lord, rather than praying and seeking God. You need to go get this person's counsel and that person's counsel and someone else's counsel. But what I can tell you is that even this morning as people were gathered at the altar, the Lord God was ministering to people in the first service who had needs. And I know God can minister to you and in your need as well. Do you hear me? this morning. There is peace for your soul in the Word of God. Commit yourself to it. Commit yourself and be diligent in it. Focus yourself towards that end. Chapter 7 in the book of Acts, it is the first mention of the Word of God growing. There's two other instances in Acts 12 and 24 and 19 and 20. And all three of these instances are after conflict happened. There's conflict. They devote themselves and focus themselves on what God has spoken to them. And as they focus themselves on what God has spoken to them, there is release and the church and the word of God grows. Again, hear the temptation of the apostles. Do we get ourselves involved in this problem? Do we focus on the problem or do we focus on the problem solver? The word also says that up until this time, many of the priests who were not being obedient to the faith are now obedient to the faith. These priests were many of them were of the sect of the Sadducees, as I mentioned earlier, who did not believe in the resurrection. So they couldn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. But somehow, through the ministry of the word, through the preaching of the gospel that the apostles were doing, through the prayer, through seeking after the Lord, they heard. And these people who did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah who thought he was a false prophet, now believe that he was the Christ. They left their belief of their own pursuit in power and authority to humble themselves before the cross. They left their belief that there was no resurrection to now believe that there is a resurrection. They left their belief that the body was going to stay in the grave to now believe that there was going to be a day when a trump would sound and the dead in Christ were going to rise again. Understand the transformation that can take place when you and I focus our attention on the priorities that God has called us to. We will be a church 
that focuses on those priorities of living out the gospel and preaching and teaching the message of Christ. When you're fulfilling your role and I'm fulfilling my role and we're walking humbly before the Lord, we can see a change in Charlottesville. I believe that we will see a change in our community where people, instead of thumbing their nose at the Lord, lift holy hands unto the Lord Jesus Christ. Instead of only one church on Insurance Lane, I envision and I see by the grace of God that there are churches in other areas of our community that are life-giving where men and women are focusing on their calling, doing the work of the Lord, and other people are worshiping him together. I see it by the grace of God. But it only happens when we focus ourselves towards him. You have a calling to fulfill. You have a purpose that God has spoken to you. What is that calling? And what is that purpose? Maybe it is not preaching every Sunday, but maybe it is serving those in need. Maybe it is helping those who are struggling. Maybe it is worshiping the Lord because God has given you a musical gift. Maybe it is that you are the intercessor that we're praying for in our church. Maybe God has given you a gift of intercession, of praying, and seeing people healed, and seeing their lives changed because you've seen your prayers be effective on their behalf. And you and I can stand here And we can say, yeah, all this is just whatever it is, but it's not real in my life. Or we can stand firm with the conviction to know that we walk by faith and not by sight. And as we are faithful, the Spirit of God breaks in upon us for in an instant us to see our hope, our hope, our hope that comes and it is reality in our life. That is what the Lord is speaking to us. There are times where you and I must focus our attention on the Lord Jesus Christ in his word, worshiping him. What did David do when his son died? He worshiped. He worshiped. Everyone else said, whoa, what is wrong here? What's going on here? But when the problem came, when it was bleak and there was no way that it could be remedied in an earthly way, what did he do? He picked up the mightiest weapon that he had ever fought with, worship. And he sought after the Lord. Heavenly Father, we pray right now by your grace and by your mercy that you would be with us today. God, I thank you for this congregation of people. And I pray, Lord, that in this next few moments, God, that you would move upon us, Lord. And I pray, oh God, that you would bring conviction of the calling and role of your people today. 
God, I know this morning that there are those who are wrestling with a call. I know there are those this morning who are brokenhearted. I know, Lord, that there are those who feel that they are struggling just to get breath. But I know, God, as sure as I'm standing here, that as we focus our attention on you and in your word, as we find our peace in the words of Scripture, in the promises of Christ Jesus, oh Lord, that we will walk faithfully before you, God, that we will see your hand work. Work on our behalf, oh God. So help us in this moment, Lord. Help us in this moment that you would be exalted and praised. God, we thank you. You will stand with me this morning. If you are here, and you need prayer, God's touching your heart. Maybe you're unsure of your calling. Maybe you don't know, what am I supposed to do? There are people who will help you find that place. That's their calling. Their calling is to help you. Maybe you're here this morning and you're in the midst of the turmoil of the soul. And you need people to pray for you because that's their calling. Their calling is to be prayer warriors. God hears. God answers. He's gifted them with that. And they'll gather around and they will pray for you. If you're willing to pray with someone, you're willing to stand and pray with someone, I'm going to ask you to come and just begin to pray. If you're willing to stand and pray with someone who needs prayer, I'm just going to ask you to come to the front and begin to pray. As they come, you need prayer today. You come. You think you, you're not sure if you need prayer. Come. That's the type of church we want to be. To be a place where you feel the comfort of the soul with a brother or a sister who is willing to pray with you and intercede for the need that is in your heart. You need to find your place. You need to be rescued from temptation. You need to be delivered from a situation. God is speaking to you this morning. Let someone intercede for you. Let someone pray with you. This is the first step of deliverance. This is the first step. Recognizing your insufficiency to do it on your own and that there are others who can partner with you and go to the throne of grace. As they lead us in song this morning, 
We're going to continue to pray. If you need to go, you are welcome to be dismissed. But we're going to continue to pray here at the altars and seek the Lord and ask him to visit us as we continue in worship, as we continue in prayer and speaking the word over one another. I just pray, God, your blessings upon this people today. May you be exalted. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.